Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. Now last time in our Bible study of the book of Mark, we saw Jesus healing a paralytic man and he was upsetting the religious leaders. So today we'll continue with the call of Levi, who we commonly known as Matthew, and we'll see Jesus eating with sinners. So turn your Bibles to the second chapter, verse 13 of the Gospel of Mark, and let's get into it. Let's go ahead and begin reading. I want to read uh, verses 13 to 17. And verse 13 begins, Then he, who is Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And one of the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now in verse 13, <clears throat> we see this second conflict with the religious leaders, and it's introduced by the story of the calling of Levi, who was a tax collector. The scene of this story is the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' popularity with the crowds was still very evident. And as we move into verse 14, Jesus seems to be doing his teaching on this occasion as rabbis often did theirs as he walked along. Now, if so, his teaching was interrupted by his encounter with Levi at the tax collector's booth. Levi was employed by Herod Antipas, who was the Tetrarch of Galilee. And Levi was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were despised by the Jews because they were considered traitors and because they often extorted money. Now, Jesus called Levi to follow him. There was much at stake for him in accepting Jesus' challenge, for there would be little possibility of Levi, of Levi being able to return back to his occupation, which was being a tax collector. Tax collecting jobs were greatly sought after, and the reason was is because they were a sure way to get rich very quickly. So people wanted to be tax collectors. It was while Jesus was teaching by the sea that Jesus saw Levi 
collecting taxes. And we know Levi as Matthew, and he later wrote the first gospel, the book of Matthew. But Matthew was a Jew, or Levi here. His occupation was very un-Jewish, considering that he collected taxes for the despised Roman government. Such honesty, in fact, they were looked down upon. They were looked as, as the same as harlots. They were looked at as scum of society, if you will. Yet, it's to Levi's eternal credit that when he heard the call of Christ, he immediately dropped everything and followed Jesus. There's a lesson here that may each of us be like Levi in instant and in unquestioning obedience when Christ calls us. It might seem like a great sacrifice at the time, but in eternity, which is forever, it'll be seen as no sacrifice at all. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, as we get into verses 15 and 16, we see that there is a banquet that was arranged at Levi's house so that Levi could introduce his friends to Jesus. Now, most of his friends were like himself. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. But Jesus accepted the invitation to be present with them. Now, this dinner that was held in Levi's house was either his farewell party or a time for his friends to just have an opportunity to meet Jesus. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners having dinner with Jesus suggest that he and not Levi was the host. By calling sinners into his messianic kingdom, Jesus was showing that the basis of entering this kingdom of his was forgiveness. Now, sinners, the word sinners denotes those people who refused to the Mosaic law as interpreted by the Pharisees. Now, Jesus' close association with despised tax collectors and sinners was just too much for the teachers of the law to keep quiet about. These particular teachers were Pharisees. They were the successors of the pious Jews who joined forces with Matthias and his sons during the Maccabean period. Now, although many of them were doubtless pious and godly men, those Jesus came into conflict with represent some of the worst elements of traditional religion. Jealousy, hypocrisy, religious formalism. And Jesus is consorting with people who openly refused to keep the requirements of the law, prompted them to ask why would a supposedly observant Jew associate with these people? The scribes and the Pharisees thought that they had caught Jesus in a very serious fault. And 
we see that instead of them going directly to Jesus, they go to his disciples. They try to undermine their, their confidence and their loyalty to Jesus. How was it that their master ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners? Now, no statement of Jesus in this gospel is more profound than this one. A doctor ministers not to healthy persons, but to those who are sick. I've also heard it said that a church is the hospital for the sick, not a museum for saints. So Jesus came not to call the righteous, and here this is meaning the self-righteous, but he came to call the sinners, those who are alienated from God in their lives. Jesus' call is to salvation. And in order to share in it, there has to be a recognition of need. A self-righteous person is incapable of recognizing that need, but a sinner can recognize that need. Jesus heard their question to the disciples, and Jesus reminds them that healthy people do not need a doctor. It is only those who are ill. Now, the scribes thought they were well. Therefore, they didn't recognize their need of this great physician, Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners, they admitted their guilt. They admitted their need of help. Because Jesus came to call the sinners just like them. He didn't come to call these self-righteous people like these Sadducees. And this is a lesson for us. We should not shut ourselves up in Christianized communities. We should seek to befriend the ungodly in order to introduce them to our Lord and Savior. In befriending sinners, we shouldn't do anything that would compromise our own testimony, nor allow the unsaved people to drag us down to their level. We as Christians should take the initiative in guiding the friendships into positive channels of spiritual helpfulness. It would be easier to isolate yourself from the wicked world, but Jesus didn't do it, and neither should his followers, neither should we as Christians. The scribes thought that they would ruin the Lord's reputation by calling him a friend of sinners. But we find out that their intended insult has become an endearing tribute. All the redeemed gladly acknowledged Jesus as the friend of sinners, and we will love him eternally for it. Now, I want to take a quick side note here with the call of Matthew. Jesus had recently chosen four fishermen to be his associates in the establishment of his kingdom, and now 
he adds a tax collector. He adds Levi to his disciples. So let's go ahead and move on here with a question about fasting. And we're going to have this controversy about fasting that's going to be brought to Jesus. So join with me back in verse 18 as it says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. When they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now in the law, the only required fast was on the Day of Atonement. And we can look at Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, verse 31. And then we can also take a look at Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 to 32, to take a look at that Day of Atonement. But after the exile, four other annual feasts were observed by the Jews. And we'll take a look at Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5, and Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19. And let's quickly do that. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, where it says, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Now, Leviticus 31 says, I won't, I won't read this entire chapter, but I just want to give this passage for your reference because it is kind of lengthy. But I do want to take a look at Leviticus 23, verses 27 to 32, where it says again also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on, the, on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath, a solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Now quickly, before we move on, I want to take a look at the couple passages in Zechariah. All this is important so that when we read this New Testament verse, we can have more of an understanding of what the Pharisees were thinking and where they came up with their laws. 
Now, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5 says, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And Zechariah 8, chapter 8, verse 19 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So we see that the law only required fast on the Day of Atonement. Now, in the New Testament times, the stricter Pharisees, they would fast twice a week. They would fast on Monday and Thursday. Luke chapter 18, verse 12, where it says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, the phrase, the disciples of the Pharisees, which is only used here in the New Testament, probably refers to the people who were influenced by the teachings and the practices of the Pharisees. Both them and John, the Baptist disciples, were the ones doing the fasting. Now, why were they doing this? Well, Mark does not say, but their fasting was a sign of true piety. And therefore, some unidentified people asked why Jesus' disciples did not give evidence of true religious piety by fasting. The disciples of John the Baptist and of the Pharisees, they practiced fasting as a religious exercise. In the Old Testament, it was instituted as an expression of deep sorrow, but it had lost much of its meaning and it had just become a routine ritual. But of course, they noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And perhaps there was a maybe a twinge of envy, maybe a little bit of self-pity in their hearts when they asked the Lord for an explanation. In verses 19 and 20, we get a reply. Jesus compared his disciples to companions of a bridegroom. He himself, Jesus, was the bridegroom. As long as Jesus was with them, there was no occasion for an outward demonstration of sorrow. But the days were coming when Jesus would be taken away. Then they would have an occasion to fast. So Jesus answers in a parable. He emphasizes the joy that the presence of Jesus makes possible. Therefore, fasting, as a sign of mourning, is not necessarily appropriate here. To fast during a wedding, a time of great joy and festivity, would be unthinkable. Jesus is the bridegroom and his disciples the guests. While Jesus remains with them, they will rejoice. They won't fast. However, he's not always going to be with them. When he's taken away, then fasting is going to be appropriate. Tis probably a veiled reference to his death. The word used implies a violent removal that causes sorrow. The two parables in these verses 
the bridegroom and we have the one of the wine and the old wineskins were probably spoken on different occasions, but they both deal with a single theme. Obviously, they bear on the question of fasting, but beyond that, they also bear on the forms of Judaism generally. Now, immediately, Jesus added these two illustrations to announce the arrival of a new era, and it was incompatible with the previous one. So the first illustration involved a new patch of cloth that has not been shrunk. If used to repair an old garment, it will inevitably shrink, and something is going to have to give. The garment that is made of older cloth is going to be weaker than the new patch, so it's going to tear wherever the patch is sewed to it. Now Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, was comparing the old dispensation to the old garment. God never intended Christianity to patch up Judaism. It was a new departure. The sorrow of the old era expressed in fasting must give way to the joy of the new. Now we see the second illustration that involved the new wine in the old wineskins. The leather wineskins lost their power to stretch. So if you put new wine into them, the, the pressure that is being built up by the fermentation process is going to burst the skins. New wine typifies the joy and the power of the Christian faith. The old wineskins depict the forms and the rituals of Judaism. New wine needs new wineskins. It was no use for John's disciples and the Pharisees to put the Lord's followers under the bondage of sorrowful fasting that had been practiced earlier. The joy and the evidence of the new life must be allowed to express themselves. Christianity has always suffered from man's attempt to mix it with legalism. The Jesus did teach that the two are incompatible. Law and grace are opposing principles. In ancient times, wine was kept in these goat skins. New skins were soft, they were pliable, they would stretch. When wine that had not yet completed fermentation was put in them. But, however, the old wine skins that had been stretched would become brittle. So we have the gas from these fermenting wines bursting them open and it destroys both the wine and the wine skins of course so putting new wine in old wine skins and patching an old garment with a new cloth is just an inappropriate as fasting at a wedding feast a wedding new wine new garment they're all symbols of the newness that the coming of jesus brings that newness cannot be confined to the old forms of Judaism. Now this story is also told in the book of Matthew chapter 9 verse 14, also in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 verses 33 to 38. The question probably came up because of Jesus's participation in, in Matthew's feast, Levi's feast, which greatly surprised John's disciples the Pharisees, and maybe even some of Jesus' own disciples. 
Feasting was so different from the way that John the Baptist had lived. There may be times of crisis when fasting is a proper expression of humility and penance and even religious devotion. Also, there is a special significance in it in the case of John the Baptist. The religionists of Jesus' day greatly overdid it. Jesus did not attach a great deal of importance to fasting as generally practiced. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, it says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now there's other references here. I'll let you take a look at them. We have Exodus chapter 34 verse 28. We also have 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 8. And Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. But this was in a period of great strain. The three metaphors, the bridegroom, the torn garment, the old wineskins, which were, of course, the wine containers made from goatskins, they, they seem to mean that there are occasions, usually involving sorrow, when fasting is proper, but that it is out of place in most aspects of just ordinary life. So in the metaphor of the bridegroom that's surrounded by guests, Jesus clearly identifies himself as the bridegroom, his disciples as wedding guests. And this analogy refers to the Jewish wedding customs, which are always joyous celebrations. The guests at a wedding would never consider fasting during a wedding celebration. And this account is one of many in which Jesus foretells to his disciples that there will be a future time when he'll be taken away from them. Now on that occasion, they will be fasting in sorrow. And to end up here, we have the second metaphor that refers to new unshrunk patch that's being sewed onto old garment. The likely result will be this new patch tears away from the old garment, makes the original tear more significant. Now Jesus may be suggesting the need for the apostles, representing the new patch, to break away from the old Jewish religious practices, which had become religious traditions and more of an advertisement of one's holiness than actual true worship of God. We see in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 18, where it says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. You know, they disfigure their faces. They appear to be men of fasting. They want people to see, hey, I'm fasting, you know. But the final metaphor of the new wine that's poured into the wineskin refers to the Word of God that's being taught to new believers. The new believer must become a new creation in Christ to leave the beliefs of the world in order to, to allow for spiritual growth. If new wine is poured into old wineskins, the skins will crack and break as the wine matures and expands.
Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless you. And keep living Christian strong.